Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, we have started a series called Passages, which um, various members of the staff throughout the summer will be uh, speaking on topics found in passages of Scripture that have been particularly impactful to us. So um, today's topic uh, I've titled, Pummeled by Pride. And let's just find out a little information about some people here. Hey, any one of you ever been, whether it's in high school or college anywhere, a cheerleader or someone on a cheer squad? Oh, we got a few, we got a few, we got a few. I'm going to ask you to come forward and help me with, no, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> hey, but, but maybe you've heard, heard a cheer like this, A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E-A-G-G. R-E-S-S-I-V-E, aggressive, aggressive. We will be aggressive. Woo-hoo! You know, it goes wild. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, just like that, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I just exposed I was never a cheerleader. <clears throat> In the summer of 1998, I was taking my family, uh, three children, my wife. Uh, we were going to Indiana Dune State Park. Uh, in northern Indiana. My f- uh, parents were coming from Ohio to meet us. We were going to spend several days. Um, and everyone's asleep. Uh, we were getting close to the Chicago area. And uh, I, was, I was thinking and I was listening to God. And all of a sudden, this strange phrase dropped into my head. Uh, two words put together in a way I'd never heard them put together before. The words were, well, first of all, you have to know, I, I was really wrestling with God in those days to be bold in praying, to be aggressive, to expect great things. And, and, and the words that dropped into my mind were aggressive humility. Well, yeah, that was <laughs> a little strange to me. But it began a, a long-standing work of God. Uh, it continues to this day. Uh, in me realizing where I'm susceptible to pride, how it's affecting my life, and how to eradicate it from my life. <clears throat> Just to be clear, and we start to talk about something like humility, and, and some men especially go, because mm-hmm. assume humility means wimpiness. Huh? It does not. That's a misnomer. We'll get to that a little bit more later. Another misnomer is that it's not just the narcissists who are prideful. I'm guessing you're prideful. Okay, I'm not guessing. I'm certain you're prideful because I am. Let me um, share some things with you that, that, see, remember, you don't have to be a narcissist to be prideful. All right, you, you will, please don't rush the stage, okay? You'll want one of these, but, uh, hey, since the early age, yes, hey, I'm not sure what that laugh means. 
Since an early age, my eyes have been very uh, um, susceptible and hurtful from light. It's just really uh, painful for me. Bright light, sunshine light. So, and then, you know, if it's snow on the ground, it's bright. Um, so, uh, I finally, year, for years, I've driven with sunglasses. And so, you, you know, you have several kinds of options. Maybe you don't know. But if you wear glasses, first was this kind that just dropped in behind. And these were really wonderful things. And, and then there was the kind that, you know, you, they, they're spring-loaded and you pull them out. You have to buy the right size for your frames. Um, and then I just really, I, I had a job where I drove a lot for a period of time. And I just needed something that shut more off the sides. And so I saw these advertised. And... But I pretty much knew they weren't cool. So you would never see me in public in these. And when I drove through the drive-thru, they came off and down on the seat because I don't want people to think I'm not cool. I wear them most. This week was the first time I wore them somewhere in public. And I'm still alive. So, all right. Here's another one. Bug spray. Real men don't use bug spray. Who knows what it smells like? And good grief, bug spray. Same thing with uh, tanning lotion. I know, I know, I know, okay. But hey, you know what? Um, this week, I just got annoyed and so I started outside and it really makes a difference. Who knew? So, bug spray. Um, my car, our cars usually sit outside of the garage in the summertime and when it's not bad weather. My car sits right under our big oak tree. In our big oak tree is a ridiculous Oriole who is so prideful. He has to make himself known many times in a day. And when I come out in the evening, or in the morning for the next day, and to get in my side door next to the tree, it is covered in white. It's really of no use to go wash the thing off because the next day it'll be the same thing. So, that's not normally like me to look like I don't have things under control. So, uh, the debate is, how often do you <laughs> wash the car? And so, a couple weeks ago, I washed it on the way to church Sunday. I would not want you to think I drove a filthy car. Now, I park in the back. <laughs> no one sees me, like lots, several of the staff members do. So, last week... I hadn't yet had a chance really to wash the car as I was coming to church, and I said, oh, well, no one will see me anyway. So I parked in the back. I drove my dirty, poop-plastered car to church. In the afternoon, later in the afternoon, we had a, um, 
a graduation party to attend. And I went so far as to tell my wife, I'll drive. I still hadn't washed my car. And I said, we'll take your car, which we did. Okay, all kinds of ways that pride shows up. We're concerned about what we look like to other people, which is really the definition of pride. Pride is a preoccupation with yourself and how you appear to other people. Pride is a preoccupation with yourself and how you appear to other people. And people who are insecure, <laughs> that's almost always a descriptor and evidence of pride somewhere in your heart because preoccupation with yourself and how you appear to other people. So I have had to wrestle with that. We're going to wrestle with this morning. Second Kings 5 is a place to, uh, that has some incredible truths. Um, if you're looking there or looking on the screen, we find these words. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Adam, excuse me, to Aram. Uh, he was a valiant soldier. But in our lives so often there's this nasty little but something wasn't right with him. He had leprosy. Now, the, the Hebrew word trans, that we translate as leprosy uh, could cover a, a multitude of skin disorders. So we don't know exactly what that looked like. And... Um, uh, you're aware probably if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, in some places, leprosy required you, or what was identified as leprosy, required you to live in a colony all by yourself, uh, completely away from other people. That wasn't the case here, but there's something wrong with this great guy. So whether you are a great person, or you don't feel like a great person, you know, and probably others know, there are some things that aren't okay with you. So I've been honest uh, and transparent uh, with you about what's been pretty much a lifelong battle with depression uh, for me. Um, some other things. When I was born, I was born with ribs at the bottom curved out. So I, you can't see that? <laughs> really? Um, so um, I, I never was seen without a shirt. And so with, with, with the light in my eyes and the self-consciousness about this, these ribs curving out, I just never was around the water that much. It never appealed to me. And so I didn't go swimming. I don't like swimming. I don't really like swimming with my grandchildren, which I think God's working on me about. But um, so, curved ribs. I was born with no sense of smell. Never had a sense of smell. Now, now, I've learned over all these years, I can tell when people are bothered by a smell. I can tell their reactions. I can tell, oh, that is a bad smell. I might get a headache that's horrendous, or I might get sick to my stomach, but I don't smell things. And by the way, have you seen this? I'm just going to bed. The gap between my teeth is bigger than yours. 
which is not a thing I was proud of many years ago. I'm not proud of it now, but I just am not bothered by it. But it did keep me to keep my mouth shut all the time, even in pictures. Um, here's my senior picture. That's a, great, that's a great big smile. Now, 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 I know what you're looking at. It's the blue suede sh uh, suit I'm, I'm gathered, yes. That's what it is. I also had a, a powder blue leisure suit in the day, too. That was very cool. But yeah, I would not smile. Uh, I, I mean, the photographer here made me smile, but I did not want this gap to show. Now, uh, this was come at the end of the summer, just before my senior year in high school, and, and I got a great job. I had a great job, actually. It finally occurred to me, especially when I saw these pictures, I said, you know what? I don't have to have my mom cut my hair. I can now afford to go get my hair cut somewhere. And so one month later, this picture, my senior picture, was out at eight because then this is what I looked like. I think that's fairly decent. Okay. <clears throat> so, now I'm cool. Or so I thought. All right. Um, this tuba, however, did a wonderful thing for me. When I, just before my, at the end of my junior year in high school, I, I had this great job, and I purchased this brand new tuba, which in today's economy would cost about $12,000. I uh, put a down payment, I got a loan from the bank, and within a year, I had it paid off. And this paid my way through college. Uh, at the end of uh, the first two years of college, I had enough scholarships and financial aid, and we were not we were bad off, so it was easy to get those aid in that in those days. Enough scholarships that the refund at the end of the year let me go buy a car. Not, not you know it was a used car, but it was a car. Um, uh, in high school, I was in the Allstate Band and Allstate Orchestra for large schools in, in Ohio. And um, I just had some wonderful opportunities because of what the tuba afforded. Uh, I remember going to a music camp at the end of my senior year at Eastern Kentucky University and uh, several weeks long, I went there. Um, I was, of course, in the band, but then uh, I was chosen also to be the tuba player for the orchestra. And uh, I went to a rehearsal one time for orchestra, and I was playing, and the conductor cut us off and turned to me and said, play, Mr. Tuba Guy, play that, play that note again. You know, when you're being called out, you <laughs> concentrate a little harder. And so I played it again and said, I have never heard a more beautiful tuba sound. So, hmm. uh, Later uh, in the school year, in the spring, I remember Mr. Kondik, uh, he would tune the band as we started practicing uh, at the beginning of practice, and uh, he had this electronic tuner up front, sat on a rolling stand, and he would tune the band various ways. Sometimes he would start with uh, high winds, and sometimes he would start with the tuba. And so one day he said, Wayne, and so I played my double B flat, and, and play that again. So, 
I've never been called out by Mr. Connick because um, I'm pretty good, you know? And uh, so uh, I play it again. I'm concentrating a little bit more. This is tune, in tune, isn't it? I'm, I'm adjust my armature just a little bit. And he says, again, man, I'm really concentrating and listening this time. And then he says, that is the most spot on sound I've ever seen registered on this tuner. So, hmm. <laughs> In college, um, the way I made it through college for spending money, et cetera, gas money, I was part of uh, a semi-professional orchestra called the Lima Symphony Orchestra, and all four years, and we had the opportunity at various times to play with uh, lots of different people. Some would be known widely by the general population and, and others only uh, potentially in the arts area. But we played with people, for instance, like uh, Roberta Peters, um, Victor Hugo, and here's the kicker, for a brass player, we one time got to have a concert with Doc Severinsen. Doc Severinsen, the jazz and band leader of the original Tonight Show. And uh, so he, he comes in and, you know, for a brass player, holy cow. This, and we actually did the last half of the concert after the mission with no strings. <laughs> An orchestra concert, no strings. So anyway, so he shifts his music in and we have practiced the rehearsal with him the night before the concert. And... Um, Oh, this one song, I, I, I just look at this note, and it's, I've never seen a note written that low before. There, there's a bunch of lines underneath the staff, and I, what is that? So I look real close, I count real close, real careful, and determine what the note was. And now, some of you know enough about singing, you know what falsetta is. So this, uh, this is not your natural voice, but you're able to generate this sound. And you have to learn to control it so that it sounds like a good sound, okay? And so uh, this was kind of the reverse of that. It's, it's a uh, pedal tone. And, and, and you have to learn how to loosen your lip enough to let it drop down, and not in a natural way that you normally would form notes, but to get that low. So we get to this point, and uh, I play that note, and Doc Severson cuts off the orchestra. He's standing there on the front with his trumpet because he had been playing. He turns around and says, Mr. Tuba Guy, that is the best E-flat I've ever heard. Doc Severson turned around. He's talking to me in front of the entire orchestra. And then I hear him say, but it's supposed to be a C. <laughs> now I did what every self-respecting musician would do. I, I leaned up, I grabbed my pencil. You always have a pencil when you're a musician on your stand. I lean in real close and I make the adjustment for the error in the, the score here to make the right. Now this is his score, it's his arrangement. He's played with lots of people, lots of times. He had it shipped to us from LA. No one thought I had a misprinted score. And Tony Alessandrini, the bass uh, uh, trombone player right beside me, saw I made no adjustment in the score. Pride being manifest. All right?
Let's go back to the scripture. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her boss, the mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure Naaman of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl had, from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, based on, on the closing price of gold and silver Friday, uh, he took with him approximately $4.7 million. Uh, plus the cost of expensive clothes, which you know were nothing in comparison to all that. And see, and, and, and I know, and most of you grumble about your health insurance costs. <laughs> anyway, so the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, these were not friendly uh, countries. They don't particularly like each other. So this is quite an ordeal to go one king to send a letter asking for a favor from this king. Because remember, the king of Aram and his people had already raided Israel and stolen people and stuff from Israel. But anyway, so he sends this letter. Um, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. A desperation act. He said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? He's trying to pick a quarrel with me. Have a justified reason to enter a fight. And they slaughtered us the last time. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes within that kind of despair, he sent his own message to the king. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will, flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. You will be healed. Now, here, here, here's where I prove that being humble doesn't necessarily mean that you're wimpy. Look at Elisha. He knew who this guy was. He had already known that he was at the king's palace. He already knew what had happened there. He summoned him to come. And he sends his servant to just say, hey, go dip in the water. <laughs> it didn't matter to him that someone was high, of high esteem, that he had a lot of money, anything of that kind of nature. He wasn't, he wasn't swayed by that, that he had to put on some incredible show. Just because someone throws a fit or talks bad about you doesn't mean you have to acquiesce to them. Any of those kinds of things are not in and of themselves prideful to not respond in those ways. You can be strong and humble. So don't let others, don't let Satan tell you differently, all right? But 
continuing with the scripture, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand and call in the name of his Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Abana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel, for goodness sake? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. All right, that's easy to read. You know, someone was mad. Now they went off in a rage. Put on quite a show. He was, as they say, pissed. He has a problem. His reaction is, I know the kind of decorum this kind of a situation requires. What has been done here is not it. And it should not be it. I deserve something better than that. I mean, he already humbled himself, so to speak. He had taken advice from a young girl from Israel. Then he had gone to his boss and told him about the advice he got from a girl from Israel. Takes a bunch of people, goes to Israel, goes to the king, and the king throws a fit right in his presence about why in the world is he there? He knows the king doesn't like his country or him, so how's this going to end, you know? And yet when Elisha sends the word, come bring him to me, he still stays in the country and goes to Elisha. Elisha sends out this person, won't even give him his own personal time. Says, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. The Jordan River for crying out loud, I have a skin disease. That thing is filthy. Seven times, what the heck's with that? If there's any healing power there, I just need to dip myself once. You're already asking me to get stupidly wet here. Here's a um, a real kicker. <laughs> and I wrote this down. God will often require you to be more humble than you had planned. <laughs> oh yeah, you've done what you said. You know, you've been humble uh, because you know that's you're supposed to be in general. And you did some some humble things. I mean, I mean, you you took the the girl's advice. You went to your boss and you went into a foreign country and all that. Um, uh, man, but I still have leprosy. Verse 13, 
Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great, incredible, magnificent thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash, and you'll be healed. What does it matter what he tells you to do? If you're going to get healed, who cares? Two things are required for us to overthrow pride in our life. And they're pointed to in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Here's the thing that you're going to have to recognize. God is going to fight against you until you stop fighting against him. Now, let me clarify something. I didn't say he's just not going to help you. It's an active action. He's opposing us in our progression in areas where we're looking to see breakthrough from and progress in and promotion, but we're not getting the results we expect because we're blinded to the fact that we're fighting God. And number two, you have to practice aggressive humility. So how in the world do you practice aggressive humility? Well, every time God says, you were wrong, and you treated them wrong, and, okay, you're right, God, I was wrong. And go apologize to them. Now, I said, I know I was wrong. But you go and you apologize. See, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I mean, you're on fire with pride. But when you take an action of you submitting yourself, God picks up the bucket of water and brings and pours over your pride. Fresh water. And you take another humbling action. And he brings more water. He gives. He gives. He gives grace. He gives the ability to be humble. He gives the ability to walk in his way with greater productivity. He gives. There's a magnificent provision for those who are willing to understand that in God's economy, the way up is down. Now, here's, here's a challenge. I know you live in a real world. I know you go, to, you go to work, and there are people there, and you see them all the time. They're getting ahead by conniving, by lying, by taking credit for things that aren't theirs. You're getting passed over for something that pretty clearly you were qualified for, more qualified for. It's not just your opinion, it's just pretty clear. And yet, they are being favored. Can I tell you something? Promotion 
is in the hands of God. For the believer, you can be absolutely certain God's doing his work in your life in the way that he wants it done for what the outcome that he wants. Now, now you're the option. You can go ahead and work that same way at your place of employment, what organization you're in, whatever. You can do that. And it may work for you to get ahead for a little while. <laughs> but God opposes the proud. Amen. You're waiting for your turn. You're waiting for your opportunity. God also blesses and honors those who honor authority. So you want to be in the place where God moves you ahead the fastest in his economy in a way that lasts and brings satisfaction, not just position, satisfaction to you, then humble yourself before the Lord. So, back to the scripture. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, to Elisha. He stood before him and said, now, I know that there is no God in all of the world except this For some of you, that's the issue you have to settle. Maybe you're even already a Christian, or, or as far as you understand, you are. Maybe you've been coming to this place for a long time, or maybe you're looking in, and the place of church isn't unfamiliar to you. But you're going to have to answer this question once and for all, or accept the truth. Are you ready to acknowledge that the God of the Bible is the one and only God. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You hear all kinds of things in today's society. Um, there are lots of gods, each to his own. Well, there's one God, but there's lots of paths to God. Scripture says it's just through Jesus. Or we're all gods. Or, <laughs> you know how old this thing is? That's some really cool stuff, and you know, it's virtuous, and, and you can learn a lot. I am just right, sitting right in here, and I like the vibe and all that, but you know, you have, to, you have to ferret out what is true and untrue. Are you ready to acknowledge that when God says anything, he's right? So, three questions. One of these will hit you somewhere, all right? Question one, what help are you in need of, but you're too proud to admit it? Okay, do you have an addiction problem? You need some help at work somewhere, but the person who could help you, hmm, you don't want to talk to them. You need medical attention of some sort that you just trying to pretend isn't there? You need help with your marriage? What is it you need help with? But you're too prideful to ask or admit. Question number two, what has God asked you to do which you have resisted, run away from? A change in your sexual behavior? To forgive someone? 
stop gossiping, being regularly committed to a local church, meaning be in attendance? Question three, are you ready to admit that there is only one God and Jesus is the only way to him? Maybe it's that last one for you. And I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would just like you quietly just to say this in your own heart. Dear Jesus, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and make the statement that you admit there's one way to God. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God's son. You're saying this inside. And today I declare that you died for my sins. You were raised again, and I declare you Lord of my life, okay? Now, if you did that today, I would just really ask you to let us know. You can uh, fill out the connection card uh, and just let us know that, you know, text to us, whatever the case might be. You can uh, come up at the end and pray with, uh, uh, no matter what campus you're at, pray with one of the prayer team members up in the front. Let them know that. They can give you some other direction. But what if it's one of the other things that's for you to do? What kind of help do you need that you're not, that you need to admit? What has God been asking you to do, but you've been resisting? I'm just ready to say I quit. Right where you're at, right now. Would you say, I'm yours, Lord. About this issue, these issues, I'm yours, Lord. Let's stand. Here in a few moments, we're going to end with a song like we always do uh, at all of our camps. It says that's what's going to happen. You have prayer team members on the corners in both uh, sides of the room. And... As soon as the music comes, and if you need prayer for anything, you don't have to be a member of Life Church or anything like that. If you need prayer for anything, uh, just come right away. Everyone's stood up. It's easy to get out. No one will mind. Uh, but if I go, won't people think that I have a pride issue? Does it matter? Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, we just say thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for deliverance from the things that have us chained up and pent up. Thank you for the ability to break free. Thank you for not having to be worried so much about what other people think about us. We're asking for a true depth of freedom that honors you and sets our hearts afire with life, not constricted conformity. Father, we love you and I ask you for grace to fall in a way like it's never done before on the lives of these, these dear people. In Jesus' name, we say thank you and amen. Let's worship.